All right, 176 days. Buckle up. I warned you it's it's going to be an emotional roller coaster up and down and sideways and every way in between. And there you go. Um, we got a lot to get to. By the way, there is a special election going on, one to watch out in California. That'll take place tomorrow. Now, by, by the way, it's the only there's only one seat that a Republican held in Congress that Hillary won in the state of California. They, Republicans have have not flipped a seat Republican since 1998. 2010, they won a special congressional seat with then the majority. But it's the first uh, Democratic seat tomorrow that's going on here. You got this guy, Mike uh, Garcia, all-star candidate, former Navy pilot, uh, businessman. Garcia's never run for office before. He grew up in the district, returned home after the Navy, raising his family there, endorsed by every major mayor in the district uh, and President Trump. Uh, Then you got a, you know, a lifelong politician nightmare candidate, Christy Smith, recently attacking Garcia for talking about his military service and claiming that she was more suited to be a congresswoman because she has constitutional law books in her home office while Garcia has photos of planes. I'm like, wow, you can't make this up. You know, Smith raised taxes after promising her voters out there. She wouldn't Uh, on local school board. She fired teachers and their support staff. She's been absent from California's COVID-19 response. This is going to be interesting to watch. I'm not saying that they can pull this off in California, but if you're out there in the California 25th, Democrats, by the way, they're now opening up additional voting centers just in the heavily Democratic part of the district. Can you believe that? Uh, The California Governor Newsom has made this an uh, all-vote-by-mail election. He said he wanted to protect the health and safety of Californians. Uh, That just tells me I don't trust any mail-in anything from any Democrats. So we'll see what happens here. Um, watching, we do have some early mail-in numbers as of May the 8th, uh, which was three days ago. You had returned ballots in the district at uh, 112,678, of which the Republican got 50,191. So if you're out there and you have a chance tomorrow, this guy seems like a rock star. Everybody I've talked to loves him. Mike Garcia, former Navy pilot. He can win this race. That would be... Uh, You know, let's see what happens out there. That'd be interesting to watch for sure. Um, We've got a lot to get to as relates to General Flynn, a lot as it relates to opening the country again. Um, And I mean, it's a real lot. It is really sad. We've got to if we want to open this country and we need to. And I'm getting pretty concerned. I really am. Oh, and Shelly, by the way, uh, Luther is going to be on the program. She owns that salon in Dallas where the judge put her in jail. It was ridiculous. Here's what we need to understand. When the Treasury Secretary of the United States of America warns of of permanent economic damage, if we don't reopen, you need to pay attention. Because Mnuchin said there is a considerable risk of not reopening, and you're talking about what would be permanent economic damage to the American public. you got to reopen in a safe thoughtful way get people back to work safely uh, that has them social distance wearing the masks etc you know uh, joel pollock over at breitbart five ways democrats are making job losses worse he's right though one they're delaying yeah of course they were too busy uh fighting for 
immigration law changes, voting law changes, and for the National Endowment for the Arts and the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Kennedy Center. Uh, they're using state unemployment systems rather than direct payments. Never a good idea. Making, in some cases, as we warned you about, unemployment more lucrative than work. Um, shaming public companies who apply for PPP funds. You know, there's just a level of ignorance there. There might be fiduciary, a fiduciary responsibility that you don't know about. You know, businesses are structured in all sorts of ways, and it just is you'd have to know something about business to understand that, well, why is that company applying for aid? Because it has shareholders that they've got to respond to, for example, or they're going to end up getting sued. Uh, proposing more relief. Yeah, they're going to want to pay off all blue states, waste, fraud, and abuse, and unfunded pensions and deficits and debt uh, and boondoggles that they've wasted a fortune on. Um, obviously, you know, a lot of states are opening. You know, I, I, what they did to this poor woman, Shelley Luther, who's going to join us later, is just beyond the pale to me. And I was glad Ted Cruz went in and, you know, they threw this poor woman in jail. Do you apologize, apologize to the politicians? Like, what? Uh, I'm not going to apologize, she said, because uh, it's not selfish, as the judge called her. She uh, She's wearing masks. And, and later on in the program, too, I keep talking about this. I go shopping every week. I go to my local drugstore. I go to my local grocery store. And I put my mask on and I go through like everybody else. Every single week, I see the same guys stocking the shelves at my local grocery store. Now, we're right in the middle of this shift show. And it is, you know, these guys have been there every week or else New York, New Yorkers wouldn't eat. What do I say? Farmers farm, packers pack, truckers truck. And these guys stock the shelves. And they're around the general public every single day. And I asked this young kid. He's a young kid. I won't give you his last name, but his name is Robert. He'll join us later in the program. I saw him again yesterday, and I said, you know, I've been talking a lot about you on my radio and TV show. And he goes, yeah, I heard. My mom listens to you. I just, you know, he's a great kid. I've become friendly with him. And I saw him yesterday. I said, come on to my radio show and tell me how you guys have been able to keep the shelves stocked and safely. Now, there's certain, so if they're able to do that, if they would have ever shut down, New York's supply chain would be dead. We'd have no food. If they did, if they closed down medical manufacturers, well, the frontline medical heroes in all of this, guess what? They wouldn't have had the protective equipment that they needed, but they never shut down the manufacturing of shields and masks and respirators and gloves and gowns and ventilators. They never did. So, you know, what did we learn from all of this? We learned that Governor DeSantis of Florida, by targeting the elderly and the vulnerable population, for example, at the Villages, America's friendliest hometown, or at long-term care facilities and nursing homes, well, the, the rate of contraction has been so dramatically worse. Let's put New York aside for a minute, but look at Michigan. I mean, it's a disaster in Michigan. They didn't do what Ron DeSantis did. Obviously, New York didn't do it. And, and, and so Ron DeSantis protected the elderly population in his state. He used the National Guard. He used every agency. They went to every nursing home. And they made sure that they were staying on top of it the whole time. And lives were saved. You compare that to New York. Here are the big errors in New York. Uh, one, you want hydroxychloroquine? You have to go to a hospital to get it. Dumb idea. 
I said so at the time. Mistake number two, uh, March 2nd, Comrade de Blasio, go out on the town. You know, here's my recommendations where you should go out in New York City, um, March 2nd through March 5th. He even said March 10th things were fine, that the risk is low. We only have 25 cases. Yeah, that was going to change precipitously. Now, I'm not totally blaming him, but, you know, both New York City, they had said his own health department that he needed 10,000 ventilators. He didn't buy any of the 500 that he inherited from Bloomberg. Well, he didn't maintain them and they sold them off at auction and they don't know who bought them. So they were warned in the city of New York. They were warned in the state of New York. Governor Cuomo's task force, May 2015, you're going to be short 15,783 ventilators and the federal government will not be able to help you. Now, it turned out they did. But the biggest mistake in New York was the March 25th mandate executive order uh, that stated that nursing homes, long-term care facilities must by law take in COVID-19 patients. Well, that's where fully 32, 30% of New York deaths came from. I mean, the New York Post today has 5,200 deaths too late. Governor's about face. In other words, just yesterday, he finally reversed that idiotic executive order. It's unbelievable to me. And I can't believe they didn't do it sooner, but, but I don't think he did it on purpose. I don't think he's trying to kill anybody. It was just dumb. Just like not buying the respirators was dumb. That's why putting people in the hospital if they wanted to get hydroxychloroquine would, was a dumb idea. They could have put it in. You know, if you, if you didn't have COVID when you went in, you had it later when you came out. So all of this had. Oh, and, and then the worst thing is for all those out of state health care workers that came to help. Yeah. Governor Cuomo says, thanks a lot. And don't forget to pay your state income taxes. I, I, can't, I, I mean, it is so repulsive to me. I just cannot believe that's the thanks you get for coming to help out New York and put your life at risk in the middle of a pandemic. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for coming. Pay your taxes before you leave. Um, And then we had, you know, all of these errors we can learn from all of the success of states like South Dakota and Mississippi and, and other and other places. And I would even argue California did some smart things. But it was Florida that I think did the best because they have the highest concentration of older people. And in New York, I think they did the absolute worst. And what was even worse than all of that, by forcing nursing homes, long-term care facilities to take in COVID-19 patients, the president had built and manned the 3,000-bed Javits Center, then converted it to COVID-19 patient capability. Uh, They only used a thousand of the 3000 beds the president built for New York in that facility. There were other facilities, the Navy hospital ship, the comfort. Well, they had a thousand beds. They converted that to COVID-19 patient capability. And they only had 182 patients use the, the Navy hospital ship comfort. That's it. So you didn't have to send them to the nursing homes. That makes it 10 times worse than anything else. Um, and And I just can't believe it. But so we, if we're going to open up the country, well, what can we learn? We can learn that if we target the elderly population like DeSantis did and protect them, then we're going to go a long way to preventing more death and more contraction of this disease. 
And I think we're learning in cases like all the workers that were manufacturing across the country, all the medical equipment that New York needed and all the truck drivers and packers and all the guys stocking the shelves and ground zero here. uh, They were all wearing masks and and they didn't contract COVID-19. So obviously these masks are working. You know, is it inconvenient to wear a mask? Yeah. But then you go, okay. if we want to get the country up and going, okay, I'll wear the mask. It's only a short period of time. They're going to have eventually have a vaccine and better treatments and more testing. And when we get all of that, I think we're going to be in a much better position. So it's temporary. And if it helps me uh, and prevents me from maybe contracting it and then passing it on to somebody who is not as healthy as I am. Well, I guess there's a that the jury is still out on that part. You know, we'll all be better off. All right, 800-941-SHAWN. Now, what we are learning about what they did to General Flynn is so bad. It is so much worse than I ever thought. And now we're at a point, what did Obama know? And when did Obama know it? I'll explain. All right, as we roll along, 800-941-SHAWN, if you want to be a part of the program. We now, as we unpeel the layer of the great injustices of the Democrats and the witch hunt and the hoax and the media and the mob and their complicity, it is even worse than we thought on so many different levels. Uh, Now, there are so many people that understand what has happened here, and it's scary because if this can happen to General Flynn, if they can raid Roger Stone's house for a process crime and Manafort's house, pre-dawn raids, 29 men, tactical gear, frogmen, tip-off CNN cameras, jury before your peers, supposed to be fair and impartial, but the jury foreperson has publicly stated they hate you. And that case is not thrown out. We got a problem. If people care about obstruction but not Hillary Clinton subpoenaed emails deleted and destroyed. And they care about Russia, but not the Russian disinformation that she paid for. And they care about quid pro quo, but not Joe and Hunter. Zero experience. You know, Podesta, by the way, in his testimony, well, he said that Hillary Clinton did know in 2016 about the Russian dirt digging on Donald Trump. Isn't that interesting? Now, we had last week, late last week, the testimony to Congress We have uh, John Podesta acknowledging he and Hillary Clinton were both aware that her campaign had purchased opposition research and were looking for dirt on Donald Trump's ties to Russia in 2016. Podesta's comments, the most direct acknowledgement about what Donald Trump, Trump's opponents knew in real time about steel and the dirty dossier. Second appearance, House Intel, he testified Clinton likely didn't know the names of the firm, or Christopher Steele, I, I think I think she was that that we had a an art research staff in house. I think she thought that, uh, yeah, I don't believe him for a second. And then there were all, there's this whole group of others, but the big question that we're going to get to here: Sally Yates was infuriated over Comey's decision to ambush Flynn, and she was shocked in that January fifth meeting in the Oval Office. When she knew that Obama knew about the Flynn call with his soon-to-be counterpart, what did he know? When did he know it? Barack, we need to know. All right, 25 now until the top of the hour, 800-941-SHAWN. If you want to be a part of the uh, program, 
U.S. attorney, I want to get into what's going on with General Flynn here, because it's far worse than we thought. Uh, The U.S. attorney for Connecticut, John Durham, is going full throttle. Told you in the last few weeks he has hired additional lawyers and people for his, well, what Attorney General Barr said is not a report. This is a full-fledged criminal investigation. Um, as it relates to the origins of the Russia-Trump coordination nonsense conspiracy theory that was fed to the American people by the likes of the compromised, corrupt, congenital liar and the complicit media mob. But we have numerous sources now telling Fox News, the U.S. attorney, that Jeff Jensen, Eastern District of Missouri, who was tapped by the Justice Department to review the case of General Flynn is also now continuing to help the Durham investigation. That is big news because obviously he cares about truth. He cares about equal application of our laws, our constitution, etc. So that is one thing. Then you have, I, I watched Sidney Powell and Sidney Powell this weekend could not have been any more straightforward or accurate when she went into now what we've developed, what we've now understand to be Barack Obama's involvement in all of this. Now, remember, this is now this this all starts right after Hillary Clinton. So we are told and at the end of July 2016. But we have evidence that it started in at, at, at the, er, the the latest May of 2016. This, the, the, the origins of this thing go back way before the official start date. And as Sidney Powell said, these agents specifically schemed and planned with each other how not to tip off General Flynn that he was a person being investigated. That's why the deputy FBI director, McCabe, when Flynn called, remember, this case was dead, gone and buried. And Flynn called over. Why are these agents I hear are coming over to see me? Why do I need a lawyer? And McCabe says, no, you don't need a lawyer. That was a lie. Okay, then Comey, you know, bragging, I sent them. I took advantage of the chaos four days into the Trump administration. That's January 24th. And I sent them in. I sent them in. I did what I'd never do in the Bush or Obama administrations. And I took advantage of the chaos, something I wouldn't do or get away with in any prior invest in uh, prior administration. And um, because there's a process and that means you go through the White House counsel. And as Sidney Powell says, you know, we'd like to send a couple of agents to talk to you. She, they were setting him up to, for an ambush. And now we know, based on the text messages from a week and a half ago, what is our aim here? Is our aim admission? Is our aim to get him to lie so we can prosecute him and or maybe get him fired? Well, the only aim of an FBI agent should be to get to the truth. That's what their aim should be. That's not complicated. Anyway, so General Flynn doesn't think, you know, okay, these are law enforcement, just like most of us would probably think. And so he saw them as allies. So they kept him relaxed and unguarded, and meanwhile, they were setting him up. Well, there's one little problem in this little timeline of all of theirs, and that is that we now are getting the first glimpse, if you will, into what was the first original 302 that we have been looking for for some time. This was also part of the document dump last week. And so 302 is when the agents that interviewed, including Peter Strzok and one other agent, interviewed General Flynn. And 
as it relates to the issue they were investigating, whether or not he had a discussion on the issue of sanctions with his soon-to-be foreign counterpart. On a side note, we learned that Susan Rice, Samantha Powers, both admitted that they did the same thing prior to coming into the Obama administration. But they write down that Flynn stated, oh, it's possible I talked to this guy on, on the issue of sanctions and lifting them, but, if he, if, but I don't remember doing so. I don't remember. Now, remember, they had already illegally, you know, unmasked General Flynn. That's a problem in and of itself. But I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here. But the attorney general now has said that the Justice Department has dismissed their case against Flynn. We're just waiting on Judge Emmett Sullivan. And the president, by the way, rightly is calling out this injustice. It's not just him. It's also Roger Stone, you know, process crime. Now, remember, the IG said that we need to have referrals on the likes of McCabe and and James Comey for the same process crime. But we didn't have 29 guys in tactical gear in a pre-dawn raid at Jimbo Comey, higher honor, super Patriots house, 29 guys in tactical gear, pre-dawn raid, CNN cameras, then the pre-dawn raid for Paul Manafort. All they had to say is, yeah, you got to report tomorrow morning at 8, 9, or 10 o'clock, and they would have shown up. This was an intimidation move. This is, by the way, Weissman 101. Always told you about the pit bull, and that would be Andrew Weissman. Now, let, let's now let's take it another step here because the president labeled the FBI Flynn frame up as Obamagate. Now, how is Obama involved in this? I'm going to get to that in a second. And because this is all very, very important. So we know that the Flynn case was dropped. We know on January 4th, a panicked Peter Strzok is like, no, no, no. You got to reopen this, reopen this, reopen this. Because nobody had found anything wrong that General Flynn did. And it appears they even had the phone call in question and they all determined the same thing. They were closing out the investigation. Now they're relying on a 1799 outdated law that no American has ever been found guilty of. And that's the Logan Act. And that's, you know, we, we keep going to the Logan Act whenever you don't like somebody politically. Let's let's see if we can get him on a Logan Act violation. But then we have the Oval Office meeting. Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Clapper, Brennan, Sally Yates, Jim Comey, uh, all in that room. Susan Rice. I think Samantha Power is in there, too. But all these people, this is the meeting that then Susan Rice will come back 15 days later on inauguration day of Donald Trump and memorialize the meeting from January 5th, where she says Barack said to do everything by the book. Well, that's called a CYA. There's no reason that why, why was that so important to her? Well, then that brings up a, a whole other list of questions, because what we have here is a liar and a hypocrite in Obama. You know, Obama, there was audio that came out over the weekend. He said that the fact that there's no precedent that anybody can find for someone who has been charged with perjury, just getting off scot-free. That's the kind of stuff you begin to get worried about. That's basic, not just institutional norms, but our basic understanding of the rule of law is at risk. Now, nobody else seems to have picked this up, but I did, and I put up an op-ed on Hannity.com, and I believe it's on FoxNews.com, and that is, in fact, one of Obama's military advisors, retired General James Cartwright. 
He was convicted of lying to the FBI about classified media leaks. In 2017, then-President Obama issued a full pardon for his favorite general. In other words, General Cartwright got off scot-free in a perjury case. So clearly Obama doesn't care about perjury. Clearly about this isn't about the rule of law being at risk because he's doing Donald Trump hasn't pardoned General Flynn. He might in the end. We'll see what happens if Judge Sullivan doesn't step up and do the right thing here at some point. I don't know what the president's going to do. Obama doesn't care about perjury because that he gave this guy a, a get out of jail free card. It's called a pardon. Now, the pardon of the the power of the pardon is absolute. I'm not disputing that. But, you know, Obama has a history of lying about a lot of things. Shovel ready jobs. Keep your doctor. Keep your plan. Every American will save money. Susan Rice lies on five different Sunday shows about Benghazi. So why is the former president, Barack Obama, so concerned about this case with General Flynn? Now, Sidney Powell and I also believe that this meeting on January 5th, where we now know that Sally Yates herself was shocked because at the end of the meeting, Comey and Yates were asked to stay back. And she was she in her testimony said she was shocked. What was she shocked at? She was shocked at the fact that Obama had been fully up to speed on the phone call with General Flynn and his soon-to-be counterpart. The spying that took place, the unmasking that took place. And Susan Rice, you know, does that very unusual note 15 days later. Do everything by the book. Well, the real question now must be asked to President Obama. If he's really concerned with the rule of law and doing everything by the book... Uh, I think it's time to ask this question under oath. Barack, what did you know and when did you know it? Joe Biden was in that meeting. I think Joe Biden needs to be asked. I think the fact that even the New York Times recognizes that the Russian dossier was likely disinformation from the beginning. I think Podesta's testimony that Hillary knew in 2016 about, yes, Russian sources being used for the dirt that they were digging on on Donald Trump and his campaign. But this private phone call released, you know, where Obama this weekend is imploring political operatives to help protect him. That was all on the phone call. You know, this this happened late Friday that Barack is is saying and signaling to political operatives help protect the rule of law for getting the whole Cartwright case. Trey Gowdy's uh, reacted to Obama's amazing statement. He says, well, where's Obama's respect for the rule of law? about the crime that was committed against Michael Flynn. The fact that Michael Flynn was illegally surveilled, unmasked, raw intelligence got out in all of this, that the, that Obama was told and kept in the loop. Then we go back to the insurance policy comment, a struck and page, and then we go back to the, the text messages. The White House wants to be kept in the loop every step of the way. He was unmasked by somebody in the Obama administration. All of this happened in the Obama administration. This was Obama's FBI. This was Obama's Comey, Obama's McCabe, Obama's Struck, Obama's Page. You know, this this is and apparently he's in the loop the entire entire way. President Obama pardoned people for making false statements to the government. He picked Michael Horowitz. That was an Obama pick. Actually, not a bad one uh, in, you know, in retrospect. Now you can see panic among the political operatives like, you know, Nadler and Schiff. They're trying to say, well, he admitted that he lied because they took the guy's house. He was bankrupt and they threatened to put his son in jail, even though now we know that they didn't think he was lying. 
although we had known that for a long time. So the Obama White House may have seen an opportunity to disrupt Flynn. By the way, you know what I think would be a good job for General Flynn? How about FBI director? How about cleaning up the FBI? I think that would be a good idea. Now, Adam Schiff, we also know, and we found this out and we've discovered when we put our timeline together Friday, we're only at the tip of the iceberg about this. He was being told by Clapper and by Rice and Powers and, and everybody in between, and this is why he didn't want to release all these transcripts, uh, that there was no evidence of any Trump-Russia collusion. And then he'd go out there with the complicit, compliant media mob, state-run TV, the New York Toilet Paper Times, the Washington Post, fake news CNN, the Conspiracy Channel, Area 51, Roswell, Rachel Maddow's uh, MSDNC, state-run TV, state-run newspapers, and all they, they couldn't get enough of Adam Schiff. Then we also discovered that the former DNI, uh, uh, we've now found evidence that undercuts uh, James Clapper's testimony to Congress because some of the transcripts now that have come out and these records raise doubt about the intelligence community's chief claim that they never briefed Obama. Well, that would mean that they lied. That means I want to hear from Brennan and I want to hear from Clapper and I want to hear from Comey and I want to go back to their old testimony. Did they say that they never briefed Obama? Let's get to the truth on that part of the equation. You know, we have a former Obama defense official admitting under oath that she lied when she was on MSDNC about having Trump Russia collusion evidence. And that was Evelyn Farkas. Former defense official admitting under oath she lied on MSDNC. Is MSDNC going to apologize for all of this? I don't think so. So now you got Obama lashing out uh, against everybody in this whole whole thing. And I'm going to tell you something. If Obama's going to criticize Trump's COVID response, let's bring up his response to the BP oil disaster that rig blew up April 20th. Obama didn't address it in the nation until a month later. When we had N1H1, to quote Joe Biden, it's really H1N1, uh, we know that they didn't, they didn't declare that a national emergency. But Obama didn't personally say anything for six months. They didn't do a thing. But this meeting on January 5th was the entire key to this entire anti-Trump operation, which blows up everybody's false, phony narrative. Now we got Chucky e. Todd. On Meet the Press, he deceptively edits Attorney General Barr's remarks. I'll get to that, and we'll play both sides of that. Then you got this idiot over there on fake news CNN, Humpty Dumpty. Trump and the right-wing media care more about Flynn than the coronavirus death toll. Well, if we take away somebody's uh, constitutional rights and civil liberty, and we're going to set up a 33-year veteran war hero of this country the way we have uh, and put him in an ambush by our own government— after they illegally surveil and unmask uh, this guy and ruin his reputation and cause him to be bankrupt and cause him to sell his house and cause him to lose four years of his life, uh, even a dope over at fake news CNN like Humpty Dumpty ought to be able to figure it out that that's a big deal. Because if it was Donald Trump, I guarantee you fake news CNN would think it is a big deal. You know, it's unbelievable. We'll get to all of this. We got a lot more coming up. Uh, oh, and you're going to meet Shelly Luther. She is the owner of that Dallas hair salon. Matt Whitaker is going to join us. We expect the president will be speaking in the next half hour. And Devin Nunes is going to weigh in on this because he wasn't lying to us. Schiff was. All right, glad you're with us. Hour two, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of this 
extravaganza. Now, we are awaiting the president is going to hold a press conference on coronavirus testing. Devin Nunes, he told America the truth. Now we know, based on the big reveal last week, the testimony of all these people, uh, no evidence, no evidence, no evidence of Trump-Russia collusion. No evidence, no evidence, no evidence, Trump-Russia collusion. But they did it anyway. Uh, Matt Whitaker is with us. He was a former acting attorney general uh, joining us to discuss the General Flynn case. Um, Matt, thank you for being with us. You know, I am watching people in the media and and I've been following this case now three plus years, Matt. And I see that this country betrayed a 33 year veteran that this that we had law enforcement abuse their power, that they targeted this guy. They ambushed this guy between McCabe saying you don't need a lawyer. Comey bragging, you know, I sent them in. Uh, now we know Obama knew all about the phone call, the details of which shocks Sally Yates. What is your take on all of this? I think it's a shameful chapter in American history. I think what was done to General Flynn is outrageous, and I think it should concern every American citizen how he was set up and entrapped. And it's uh, it's really disgusting. And 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 I, and I hope that the American people get the accountability uh, that is deserved and the transparency as to how this could ever happen and how we need to make sure it never happens By the again. way, are you on a speakerphone, Matt? We've, I'm just a little less clear than I would like for broadcast quality. I don't know if you are or not. Um, is that better, Sean? Yeah, just get a little tighter if you can, because um, I want to hear everything you're saying. But the thing is here, when I listen to Comey, and I listen to Mr. Higher On or Mr. Super Patriot Bragg, as, and I won't play it because I played it a lot for my audience. I sent them in. I did something I'd never do in any other administration. I took advantage of chaos. I totally ignored all norms and practices and, and the process, which would be to go to the White House counsel. I, it disgusts me that because we're talking about a 33-year war veteran to this country. Matt, he went broke. He sold his house. They threatened to put his kid in jail unless he lied. They, what father's not going to dive on the sword under those circumstances? I agree, and we need to be very happy that this has been cleaned up uh, and is being dismissed. Bill Barr is doing the right thing. And remember, you know, there, there was no difference between the early days of the Trump administration than there were Obama or Bush. Jim Comey just used his sophisticated knowledge of how this would work and bypass regular order, and, they, and he did this so many times. And, and the fact that McCabe and Comey believed that General Flynn was somehow an agent of a foreign power, and ultimately they believed that Donald Trump was an agent of a foreign power. I mean, it's just it's crazy that these two American patriots would be somehow uh, opened up investigations by their own, by their own country. I, I you know, again, I, I, it's it's hard to explain. I was there for some of this, as you know. Uh, and, um, you know, this was, I think, just a really um, disgusting act by uh, those at the highest level of the FBI. And, you know, they've all been fired, uh, but I just don't think that, obviously, General Flynn, who's lost more than, than his job, uh, that that gives him any solace or comfort. You know, Matt, you were there. You were the Attorney General of the United States. And I, and I really, in my heart, I don't believe any of this would be coming out but for the Attorney General Barr. 
And uh, everything I read and see about John Durham, he seems like a serious, straight up, down the line, no holds barred, but seeking truth and justice prosecutor. But when I read the, you know, the struck text, oh, well, well, what's our aim here? What's our goal here? Is it to get an admission or, you know, to try and get him to lie uh, so we could either prosecute him or get him fired? Matt, maybe I'm old fashioned, had a lot of family in law enforcement. I would always think that the goal of the FBI is truth. Find the truth. It is, and it's also the the, the, the the most shameful thing of the whole situation is is they had no probable cause to interview him in the first place and to make him a target of an investigation. And it'd just be like the FBI coming to you saying, Sean, have you ever paid a bill late? And you say, no, I don't think I have. And then all of a sudden them looking at all your bills and, oh, you paid your credit card late two years ago and you lied. And, you know, there's no basis for them asking you those questions. And in this case, it's the same idea is that the FBI has to have predication because they can't just go ask questions and then try to match the facts to the questions they've asked. So, you know, again, every American citizen should be concerned about what happened to General Flynn and should be celebrating the fact that it, the, a, a very bad um, situation has been uh, rectified. Matt, if I were to have my emails subpoenaed and I had them, and then I deleted them, and then I acid-washed the hard drive with something that I didn't know existed until Hillary, which is called Bleach Pit, and I had an aide break up my Blackberries and iPhones with hammers and remove SIM cards, would I be likely found guilty of obstruction? Anyway, you, you see me getting out of that? No, I mean, that, that would be a classic, you know, uh, obstruction case where you hide evidence of uh, of criminal culpability so we, i think we may have been back before i went to the department of justice may have even talked about that case and and why uh i think you know that was a complete um you know uh cover-up by those that were doing that investigation and you know and a lack of uh will to pursue uh that case to its its rightful end if I, we now know, and I'll quote the New York Times, they got it late, but we had it early, but that's separate and apart, that the dirty dossier, and this was an interesting admission, I thought, too, and that is that John Podesta says that both he and Hillary knew they were getting information from Russia. I mean, that shocked me. And if I knew that this is Russian disinformation, or I'm paying it from, from Russia, and you have a complicit media, they give it out, but when... Before the first FISA application, there were numerous warnings. James Comey signed three of the four, Rod Rosenstein one, uh, Sally Yates, Mr. Buente, and I believe Andrew McCabe also signed it. Now, they were warned on numerous occasions before the first FISA application that Christopher Steele had an agenda, that it was unverified, Hillary paid for it, don't trust it. But it became the bulk of information in all four FISA applications, all four of them. They mm -hmm. knew in February of 2017, they knew that it had been debunked by then. Then we get to the scope issue in a second. So my question to you is if I, it says at the top of a FISA application, I've interviewed people that have seen them. I've never seen one. And it says verified. Is that true? Yeah, I've seen five applications, yes. Well, now we know not only was it not verified, Steele in an interrogatory in Great Britain said it's unverifiable. He has no idea if any of it's true. The subsource that was interviewed and in, that we now, the FBI finally got around interviewing, contradicted everything that Steele said. So my question is, 
okay, uh, if I committed premeditated fraud on a FISA court to deny one individual of civil liberties and constitutional rights, Carter Page, and then also to get a warrant to spy on a president or a presidential candidate transition team and deep into a presidency, could you get me as a lawyer out of jail on that? Because I don't think lying to a judge is ever a good thing. No, it's not. And in, in, in just looking at what the FISA court is doing, uh, they're very unhappy and are not satisfied with the FBI's responses to their unhappiness. And I, you know, I think some of this, has to be answered. You know, Lindsey Graham is having some hearings where he's subpoenaing all these folks, and some of these answers to these questions have to be uh, given. And and whether it's whether it's the former deputy attorney general, whether it's the former director, whether it's the former assistant director, you know, there are so many questions about who did what and why. And and it's 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 really sad that we're this far behind. You know, after the fact. But you know, again, I come back to the basic premises. I believe in Bill Barr and what he's doing. And he is doing what the law demands, not so, not any politician or political party. And Let that's me what ask you this. So Based effective. on what we know, do you see crimes committed? And do you believe there'll be indictments? Uh, I do, uh, I, to both questions. And, you know, I think that's what John Durham is getting um, underneath. And, and, and I think he's being very diligent about what he's doing. I, we worked with him uh, on another investigation of a very sensitive uh, classified investigation. And so I know that he's the right person. To, if, if, if anybody can be criminally held accountable, John Durham will do it. And I know he's got the full support of Bill Barr. In the testimony of Sally Yates, she says she talks about a meeting in the Oval Office with the president, then President Obama. Biden was there. Clapper. Brennan was there. Comey was there. Yates was there. I believe McCabe. I believe uh, Susan Rice and some others. In that meeting, at the end of the meeting, Yates and Comey were asked to stay behind. Sally Yates testified that she was shocked that the president knew about the the in, the unmasked call of General Flynn with his soon-to-be counterpart. Do you see an issue there? I do. Uh, you, usually those uh, highly sensitive intelligence matters, especially... Um, one of this nature would not be briefed to the president or the vice president. And so there was clearly an interest from from the uh, White House as to that situation. And so they were, you know, they had some um, way to get that information and whether it was somebody in the intelligence community, but those, usually those are, those documents are very sensitive and, and very closely held. And so somebody was keeping the president and the vice president uh, briefed on this issue, it sounds like. Matt Whitaker, we'll have you back. Thank you so much for being with us. The president now taking to the podium uh, to talk about testing and testing capacity for these uh, affiliates along the Sean Hannity Show Network. We will be bypassing our next break, and uh, we'll update you on the bottom of the hour break as this goes on. We're here today to provide an update on the unprecedented testing capacity developed by the United States, the most advanced and robust testing system anywhere in the world by far. This afternoon, I'll also announce new steps that we're taking to make tests even more widely available. To battle a virus, my administration marshaled every resource at our nation's disposal, public, private, military, economic, scientific, and industrial, all at your disposal. We launched the largest manufacturing ramp-up since the Second World War. There's been nothing like it since. At the center of this industrial and scientific mobilization was the development of our coronavirus testing capabilities. 
In the span of just a few short months, we've developed a testing capacity unmatched and unrivaled anywhere in the world, and it's not even close. This is a core element of our plan to safely and gradually reopen America. And we're opening and we're starting, and there's enthusiasm like I haven't seen in a long time. Every American should be proud of the amazing array of talent, skill, and enterprise our nation has brought to this challenge. In three months, the FDA has authorized more than 92 different tests, and over 9 million have been performed here in the United States. Three weeks ago, we were conducting roughly 150,000 tests per day. Now we're doing approximately 300,000 tests per day, a 100 percent increase, and it will go up substantially from that number. This week, the United States will pass 10 million tests conducted, nearly double the number of any other country. We're testing more people per capita than South Korea, the United Kingdom, France, Japan, Sweden, Finland, and many other countries, and in some cases combined. On Friday, the FDA authorized coronavirus antigen test, an alternative testing technology that can be much more readily manufactured. Quidel Corporation, which makes this newly authorized point-of-care test, estimates that it will be able to manufacture 150,000 tests per day, immediately increasing to 300,000 tests per day within just a few weeks. To further expand our nation's testing capabilities this afternoon, I am announcing that my administration is — and it, we've got this all approved, it's all done — is sending $1 billion to America's states, territories, and tribes. So this has all been approved. We've gotten it done, completed. The money is going out. This major investment will ensure that America continues to conduct more tests than any country on Earth by far. I said from the beginning that the federal government would back up the states and help them build their testing capability and capacities, and that's exactly what's happened. This partnership has truly flourished. We have really had a very good relationship with the states and the governors and other representatives within the states, a relationship like I think I can honestly say has not been seen in this country for many, many years. Uh, the Governors and us are working together very closely, not only on testing, but on ventilators, where we have a capacity that's, at this point, virtually unlimited. And we're sending ventilators, as you've probably heard, from other countries. We're sending many, many thousands of ventilators to other countries because they're in tremendous need. And I think building up a lot of goodwill, but much more importantly than that, we're saving a lot of lives. Most states are now doing a great job. My administration located 5,000 machines in 700 labs across all 50 states, and governors have learned how to maximize these testing resources. The federal government is also supporting states with vital supplies, quick approvals of new tests, and one-on-one -on -one coaching from the team here at the White House on how to increase capacity and increase it very quickly. In recent weeks, we've held multiple conference calls with every state, as well as with D.C. and Puerto Rico. We jointly developed testing projections and goals for each state for the month of May, altogether totaling 12.9 million tests. Think of that, 12.9 million tests. Today, I'm announcing that my administration will provide the collection supplies to help states meet their targets and meet them rapidly. 
During the month of May, FEMA and HHS will be delivering 12.9 million swabs to states nationwide. We already have them. The delivery will be very quick. We're prepared to provide millions of additional swabs if any state is on a pace to surpass its goal. And their goals are very high. We've set them very high. We've told them to set them very high. My administration will also provide approximately 9 million transport media which are used to transfer swabs to the lab processing, a complicated process, but we've made it simple. As a result of these actions, every single state will be able to test more people per capita in May alone than South Korea has tested in four months since the outbreak began. This major commitment is possible because of the massive mobilization of American industry, including Puritan medical products, U.S. cotton, Abbott Labs, and Thermo Fisher. Some of these incredible companies produced and produced rapidly for us, and their products are here with us this afternoon. These are all different products that were literally just developed. And uh, if you can imagine that, and these are the best machines and the best uh, equipment anywhere in the world, and other countries are calling us, and we're trying to work as much as we can, not only on ventilators, but also with testing. My administration also continues our tireless effort to expand testing in the most underserved communities. Through our partnership with the private sector, leading pharmacies and retailers are now operating over 240 testing sites across the country. And that's in addition to all of the other sites that we have working. 70 percent of these sites are located in communities with unique vulnerabilities. There will be more than 300 sites by the end of this week, and retailers are making plans to open up hundreds and hundreds more locations within the next 30 days. These additional sites are helping us ensure access to testing in every community. My administration is fighting relentlessly to protect all citizens of every color and creed from this terrible virus, the invisible enemy. In addition to vast amounts of testing supplies, my administration has partnered with the private sector to coordinate the delivery of more than 90 million N95 masks. And these are of the highest quality. Many are made right here in the United States, a capacity we didn't have at all at the beginning. 126 million surgical masks, likewise, many are made here. 9 million face shields, 21 million surgical gowns, 993 million gloves and 10,690 ventilators. We're building thousands of ventilators in numerous plants all across our country. It's incredible, actually. This global pandemic has inflicted great pain and hardship on our people. It should have never been allowed to happen. It should have been stopped at the source. We mourn for every life the virus has claimed, and we share the grief of all of you who have lost a loved one, and that goes worldwide, too. Many, many countries, 184 countries at least. Thanks to the courage of our citizens and our aggressive strategy, hundreds of thousands of lives have been saved. And we have saved. And if you look at on a per 100,000 basis, we're at the best part of the pack, right on the bottom. Germany and us are leading the world. Germany and the United States are leading the world. Lives saved per 100,000. In every generation, through every challenge and hardship and danger, America has risen to the task. We have met the moment, and we have prevailed. Americans do whatever it takes to find solutions, pioneer breakthroughs, and harness the energies we need to achieve 
a total victory. Day after day, we're making tremendous strides with the dedication of our doctors and nurses. These are incredible people. These are brave people. These are warriors. With the devotion of our manufacturing workers, food suppliers, and lab technicians, and with the profound patriotism of the American people, we will defeat this horrible enemy. We will revive our economy, and we will transition into greatness. That's a phrase you're going to hear a lot, because that's what's going to happen. We're going into the third quarter, and we're going to do well. In the fourth quarter, we're going to do very good. And next year, I think we're going to have one of the best years we've ever had, because there's a tremendous pent-up demand. It's a demand, and I'm feeling it. I've felt things a lot over my life, and I've made a lot of good calls. It's a demand like I don't think I've ever seen. There's a pent-up demand. There's a, there's a spirit in this country like few have seen. And I think you, you can say, and we've helped a lot of the countries a lot, really a lot. There's a tremendous spirit all over the world to beat this tar terrible, terrible thing. But we're transitioning to greatness, and the greatness is going to be in the fourth quarter, but it's really going to be next year, and it's going to be a year like we've never had before. I really believe that. As good as we've done, and we've done great, we had the best economy in the history of the world, not just here. All right, that's the president as he's giving out testing information. All right, 25 now until the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. If you want to be a part of this extravaganza, well, we're learning more every day. We're learning that Adam Schiff, the corrupt, compromised, congenital liar that he is, we're learning that he knew. He knew that when he interviewed Clapper, when he interviewed Rice, when he interviewed all of these other people in the administration, they all said the same thing. Sally Yates, everybody down the line, we have no evidence of Trump-Russia collusion. Now, we also know at the same time he was going out there as a rock star on fake news CNN, conspiracy TV, Roswell, Rachel Maddow show. I think she spent hours on that show, you know, saying We've got the evidence of Trump-Russia collusion when just the opposite was true. Just outright, never-ending lies. And the complicit mob in the media went along with their lies. And the Democratic Party, many of whom knew better because they serve on the House Intelligence Committee, we know that they knew better. But they so hate Donald Trump that it was, I guess, acceptable for them to lie. Because why? Well, the ends justify the means, and anything that's going to get rid of Donald Trump is good in our world. Now, the problem in the process of this, well, a lot of corrupt things happen. What did I, what did I say? I said, if we allow Hillary to get her away with deleting subpoenaed emails and bleach bit and hammers and devices and those SIM cards, then we don't have equal justice under the law. We don't have equal application of our laws. We're basically shredding the Constitution. All the allegations about obstruction, Democrats, the mob, the media, she gets a pass. If you look at, well, we're concerned about Russian interference. Well, the only person that paid for Russian interference was Hillary Clinton. And in John Podesta's testimony, we learned that both he and Hillary knew that the information was likely coming from Russia. Even the New York Times acknowledged the dirty, bought and paid for Russian dossier was likely Russian disinformation from the get-go which was designed to impact the 2016 electoral process 
something that Devin Nunes warned Biden and Obama about and the world about in 2014. We all know Putin is a hostile actor. We know Russia is a hostile regime. They've done it before. They did it in 2016. The only difference is it appears they were really trying to help Hillary. That whole narrative now blows up in their face on, well, they were there doing it to Donald Trump. That's not exactly right. We now know that the the level of involvement, we know that that document, which is unverifiable, that there were numerous warnings before the first FISA application uh, that were ignored, that Steele has an agenda, Kathleen Kavlak, Bruce Orr, many others, that Steele had an agenda. Hillary paid for it. It's unverified, but it still became the bulk of information in all four FISA applications. And we know that, in fact, James Comey signed three of them. Sally Yates signed some, McCabe signed some, Buente signed some, Rod Rosenstein signed the last one. And we know that when we finally got to interviewing the subsource on three separate occasions, by February of 2017, they knew the subsource said, no, there's nothing we can corroborate in the dirty dossier that Hillary paid for, uh, which then makes it even worse. And then, of course, the scope uh, memorandum that was sent by acting AG Rod Rosenstein, who signed the fourth and final visa application that allowed first well, denying Carter Page's civil liberties and constitutional rights. And they spied on a presidential candidate, Donald Trump, and they spied on Trump's transition team and deep into the Trump presidency, all based on a dirty dossier. McCabe and his testimony acknowledged, yeah, without the dossier, we don't have any FISA warrants. But nobody verified it. And then they debunked it. They, they debunked it and still signed two more FISA applications. Now the question is, who is going to be held accountable? Now, two things came out in the course of this. You have the Adam Schiff uh, report, which was full of lies. Now we have a timeline of all of his lies, what he was being told Behind closed doors, we now know why he tried to hide all of these interviews from the American people. And then we had the Nunes report that was 100% dead on, truthful and accurate. And probably we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the likes of Devin Nunes of California, who joins us now. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Sean. That's a good recap of everything that's happened. But you, you could probably go on for about seven more hours to tell a whole story. There's no doubt about it. Um, all right. So... Let's go through this step by step, because, you know, look, I'll, I'll be honest. I tried to get in touch with people like you and your office and Jim Jordan and his office and Ratcliffe and his office and Meadows and his office and Matt Gates and his office. I was trying to get information, but it would have been uh, against the law for you guys to tell me or or against the rules, something like I don't know what it would have been. But you guys would say, I can't tell you that that's behind closed doors. That's secret. Do you remember telling me numerous times it was secret? Because I do. Uh, absolutely, we had to do that. Uh, because, look, the, the problem is 90% of the media are controlled by the Democratic Party. Uh, you know, you may, you may remember this, but uh, they, were, they were throwing ethics charge after ethics charge after ethics charge against me. So, you know, I couldn't even have, you know, even the, even the slightest look that I was doing anything improper. Uh, and so, you know, but I, I made very simple statements. I hadn't seen any evidence whatsoever of Trump colluding, the Trump campaign colluding, coordinating, or any cons or conspiring with Russians. 
Uh, so that included all the 17 intelligence agencies that we have in this country, and it included the 53 witnesses uh, that we had heard from. Uh, but I would, it's, it's even more outrageous than that. Uh, and this, this, this needs to be uh, looked at. A lot of our, the great, I, I hate to say this, but we really now have scholars of the Russia hoax. Uh, they happen to most of the time. They appear on your show, uh, Sean, because we, you know, unfortunately, very few people actually covered this and actually gave an opportunity for real investigative journalists to actually do their job. Uh, but we really have scholars of, of the Russia of the Russia hoax now that have been investigating this for for nearly four years, uh, and those folks have been combing through these transcripts uh, that have come out. Uh, and what you notice in there, I, I think, are, are, are a couple really important points. One, it's not just that there was no collusion or conspiracy or coordination with Trump Trump campaign. There wasn't even any, any hearsay. There wasn't anything that any of these witnesses had. And remember, we gave Adam Schiff every single witness that he wanted that would come in. You know, the witnesses that we wanted. Uh, the most important ones, the the crafters of the of the Clinton dirt, uh, they refused to come in. And when they did come in, they had to come in by subpoena. And guess what? They pled the fifth. They refused to answer our questions. That's the that's the hacks at Fusion GPS. We were blocked by the Department of Justice and the FBI from interviewing the FBI agents and the Department of Justice Justice officials that we wanted to interview. So so this investigation, Sean, it's not over. It's expanding from my perspective. You know, we're, we're only at the beginning. What you saw last week is the camel's nose under the tent, uh, Flynn being exonerated, but all of the documents that – and I, sh- I shouldn't even say exonerated. He was investigated for a crime. Uh, that uh, by the was, way, did you – when, when somebody – an FBI agent says, well, what's our goal here? Is it um, an admission or do we want to try and get him to lie or, you know, so we can prosecute him or get him fired? Um, Congressman, does that seem like any any kind of appropriate line of questioning for an FBI guy? I don't think well, so. Well, Sean, it's, uh, remember, we had testimony from the, the highest levels of DOJ and FBI in early 2017 who told us this, okay, who told us that the agents didn't think he was lying. We also had whistleblowers that came to us and told us that the agents didn't believe that Flynn was lying. I posed that question to the highest levels of, of DOJ when the rumors, the leaks came out that, that Flynn was going to have to plead guilty to lying to the FBI. And I said, look, I said, if, you, if you bust Flynn for that, that means you guys lied to us. And where is the 302 of that meeting? We asked for it, asked for it, asked for it. We later found a 302, but then we found out that wasn't the real 302. And your listeners know, but a 302 is the report that the FBI agents do upon returning from uh, from the interview with the uh, person that they that they've been uh, interviewing. So, so that 302 is still missing, uh, but I believe it exists, and that's a 302 that was used to brief the United States Congress. So this never made any sense uh, from the beginning, and and I and and look, we should be we we can't let this go. Um, the media wants us to let this go. Um, with, that's why what I'm saying, we have to step on the gas. And the next, the, the next people that need a real investigation done is the entire Mueller dossier team. They never looked for Russian collusion. They never looked for a damn thing to do with Russia. All they did is set an obstruction of justice trap, and we're waiting for Donald Trump 
and the House Republicans, who were the only ones that were doing a real investigation, they were waiting for us to fall into it. Meanwhile, they were filing ethics charges against against many of us. So, um, look, we're, we're we're only just beginning, and let's uh, let's hope that uh, Durham uh, continues to knock doors down, and and hopefully we'll bring indictments. I uh, I look at the people that I think are most culpable. Let's go back to this January fifth meeting at the White House where Sally Yates said she was stunned, stunned, her words, that that the president at the time, Barack Obama, knew about the unmasked phone call with General Flynn. What does that tell you? Because to me, that tells me that, you know, I want to know, hey, uh, Barack, what did you know? When did you know it? And then you can put together that with, say, Page and Strzok. Oh, the White House wants to be uh, kept in the loop every step of the way. And Oh, do we need the insurance policy? God forbid this guy Trump wins. Well, one of the things, Sean, that's come out in the last uh, few days, now that everyone's had time to read the transcripts, we really wanted to find out, you know, how, you know, this meeting that had occurred at the White House that we were aware of, we didn't know, it, you know how high it went, but we wanted to know how did the Obama administration officials and what administration officials knew about the Flynn phone call, which I always said from the very beginning was was. Where the hell was the investigation for that? That was a leak at the highest level of a classified uh, intelligence product that came from a phone call that was clearly recorded by our intelligence agency somehow, some way. Uh, how did that? Who had it in the Obama administration? Well, hell, now we find out they all had it. But now you see the discrepancy because you have McCabe writing in his book that Clapper gave it to Obama. Uh, you have Comey under oath saying that that Clapper gave it to Obama, but you have Clapper under oath telling us no. that he didn't give it, that he did not give it to Obama. So, so you mean? If, wait, hang on. Do you mean that if you lie to Congress or you lie under oath, um, then I would expect twenty nine guys in tactical gear and CNN cameras and a pre dawn raid is going to happen to these guys? Well. Uh, I, I actually, I actually, Sean, I don't, I don't think it really takes that. But I do expect this. I expect for James Clapper to tell us, to tell the American people the truth. Either he did give it to Obama or he did not. And if he did give it to Obama, then yes, he has to be prosecuted. Well, for, we know. Well, Sally Yates confirms that. What about the original 302? We got our first glimpse at that buried in these papers. That Flynn. Uh stated that it was, well, possible that I talked to my soon-to-be Russian uh, counterpart on, about the issue of sanctions or whatever, but I, I just don't remember. That's a far cry from being dishonest, isn't it? They didn't well, think he lacked candy. that, but, but General Flynn was the top. Let's, let's think about this just for a second. General Flynn it was the top intelligence officer in the entire Department of Defense. He is a war hero, an intelligence uh, uh, a phenomenon. He was the best intelligence officer in multiple generations. Okay, to think that he, of all people, would have been a turncoat—you know—that wouldn't just be the scandal of for the United States. That'd be like a scandal of multiple centuries of modern warfare, where you had the top intelligence person go from one side to another side. It just doesn't exist, uh, really, throughout history. You have to—you have to get a, a classicist historian to find that out. Uh, Sean, do you, do you think Barack Obama needs to answer questions at this point? Because I do. And, and well, Adam I, Schiff I is. That, how did we hold Adam Schiff accountable? And well, go ahead. Yeah, well, what I was going to say with Obama, we need to first get to the bottom of, of, you know, we now know, the American people now know 
that Clapper at first lied to us about giving this uh, dossier, confirming the existence of the dossier to the press, came back during that same article and admitted to it. Now, look, I would argue that that testimony, uh, I mean, that, uh, that dossier at the time confirming that it, its existence, being that it was in the hands of the intelligence agencies, and we now know that it was used for pretty much everything, the, the Clinton paid for dirt, you know, that's a question that, that Clapper needs to be investigated for. Was that, was that a leak? But also, he needs to be, did he tell Obama or did he not? He said under oath that he, that he didn't. But if he did, like Comey says that he did, uh, then that's a problem. And also, who, if it didn't happen, the then why did Comey tell us that? There's so many. And so you talk about the pre-dawn raid of, of Roger Stone. I mean, my God, these guys ought to just come in and turn themselves in. I got to run in a second of just a quick list of names that you think could possibly end up being charged in this. Well, I I never want to do that you, because I have made criminal. I'm a referral. talk show host. I I want to. I know, that. <laughs> but I've made. We've uh, made I understand. I'm not going to press you. Uh, well, you, thank you, you for you telling the American people the truth. Thank you for not lying like your counterpart Schiff. And there needs to be some accountability here. What he's done, not only you have a complicit media that went with his lies, you have a whole Democratic Party that went over the cliff with him. Sick. Uh, Devin Nunes, you told us the truth. Thank you. Thank you. We better get this right or else we're going to shred the Constitution. That's how dangerous it is. Society cannot function where one's own belief in a concept of liberty permits you to flaunt your disdain for the rulings of duly elected officials that you owe an apology to the elected officials whom you disrespect, disrespected by flagrantly ignoring and in one case defiling their orders, which you now know obviously apply to you. That you understand that the proper way in which an or, in an ordered society to engage concerns which you may have had is to hire a lawyer and advocate for change, an exception or an amendment to laws that you find offensive that you publicly state that this is the way that citizens in the state should behave, and that you represent to this court that you will today cease operation of your salon and not reopen until after further orders of, this, of the government permit you to do so. This court will consider the payment of a fine in lieu of the incarceration which you've demonstrated that you have so clearly earned. Is there anything that you would like to say? Judge, I would like to say that I have much respect for this court and laws and that I've never been, been in this position before, and it's not some place that I want to be. But I have to disagree with you, sir, when, I, when you say that I'm selfish because feeding my kids is not selfish. I have hairstylists that are going hungry because they'd rather feed their kids. So, sir, if you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision. But I am not going to shut the salon. All right, news roundup and information overload hour. I, I, I don't think I've ever heard somebody as scary as that judge in the case of Shelley Luther, who was the owner of this uh, Dallas salon. Uh, you talked about these politicians, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I'm like, really? Flagrantly disregard. You better apologize uh, for your selfish behavior. And I'm like, what? And then he sends her to jail and finds her $7,000. She's trying to feed her family. She's trying to open opportunities for her staff to be able to feed their families. You don't get to get called selfish for that. I give big props to Senator 
Uh, Ted Cruz of Texas, he went, got his hair cut there the next day. Uh, I read somewhere that uh, Sarah Palin also stopped by. You know, we better pay very close attention. Remember, the, the cure can't be worse than the problem. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin saying on May 10th, reopening the economy. Yeah, it's got to be done in a safe, strategic way. But otherwise, we're risking permanent economic damage if we don't reopen. You know, I, I keep mentioning I'm going to have this this young man that I've, I've seen all throughout this pandemic in New York. Every time I go shopping once, twice a week, there he is stocking the shelves with the same group of people stocking the shelves. Nobody got covid. They're all in masks. They're all in gloves and nobody got it. Without them, there's no food on on any store shelf. I stop by my local Rite Aid. I see my friends at Rite Aid. They're doing they're doing their job every day. They have masks and gloves. Nobody's getting COVID. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. There was a great piece by Andrew on on Breitbart.com by our friend uh, Joel Pollack. You know, and the headline is five ways Democrats are making job losses worse. One by delay, two by using state unemployment systems rather than direct payments, three making unemployment more lucrative than work, and four shaming public companies who apply for PPP funds, and five proposing more relief until the crisis ends. And that more relief means, oh, let's uh, let's fund these big blue states' unfunded pensions and their record deficits and their budget shortfalls. Uh, that can't happen either. COVID relief and COVID relief only. Anyway, uh, joining us now is Shelly Luther. She is the owner of that salon. It's called, uh, what's it called? Salon a la mode. Uh, yes, how are you, Shelly? Salon a la mode. I'm great, Sean. How are you today? Uh, I'm good, by the way. Thank you. Uh, by the way, I, I just, I watched and I listened and I could not believe what this judge was saying to you. Tell us how you felt in that moment. Um, you know, I kind of felt that it was coming and, and um, had been warned prior to the trial, um, the way this judge act, it acts all the time. Um, but to that degree um, was pretty crazy. And the, the whole time that I was speaking to him and, you know, and telling him my story, he never looked at me once. He was up there shuffling papers as if I was just a fly bothering him. That's what it seemed like to me. Well, I, I've, I've watched a lot of bad judges over the years. Uh, I think we more recently saw it in the Roger Stone case. I mean, you have a, a jury four person that was that hated Roger Stone, stated it all publicly on social media, and went, that's not a fair and impartial jury, and, and the judge mm -hmm. wouldn't throw the, the verdict out, which blew me away. So mm -hmm. what has been the reaction now? I, I, I know that Ted Cruz went in, Senator Cruz. Uh, did Governor Palin go in? I thought I read that somewhere. Um, she did, actually, but that's when, when I was actually in jail. So she came and visited and took pictures with my stylist. But um, I did get to speak with her on the phone the other day. So that was really nice. Well, so tell me a little bit now, where are you? Is your salon open? I did notice everybody's wearing masks. Uh, mm -hmm. probably difficult if you're going to cut hair to use gloves. I can understand that, but you're using a lot of Purell and as much distance as you can. Your customers are also wearing masks, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, they all are. Um, we're in North Dallas, but we, the weather right now is beautiful, which actually makes it a little easier to sit any clients that um, are waiting to get their hair cut outside in chairs six feet apart. Um, I have a cool patio. And then um, when the stylist is ready, um, of course, they have their mask on. The client comes in with the mask on and um, instantly uses hand sanitizer. 
um, and then comes to the chair. And of course, before they go in the chair, it's already been sanitized and all of the, the tools and everything have been sanitized before, um, you know, they get their service done. All right. So walk us into the judge does this. You go to jail. Um, mm-hmm. What was that like? I, 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 From what I understand, you've never been arrested. You don't have any record <laughs> of any kind. Your only record now is that you want to work and feed your family. I don't think that's, that's uh, I think that's a badge of honor myself. How, what happened? So they take you to jail. What was that like? Um, I mean, all, all of it. I was just, you know, kind of wondering what was next. You're right. I've never been in that situation. My dad was a master gunny sergeant in the Marines. So we lived a pretty straightforward, follow the rules type life. Um, so they took me to this back room where they checked all my clothes and patted me down and, um, took like my information down. And then these two, uh, deputies, I guess is what they are, uh, drove me to Loose Ferret, which is pretty much the most disgusting jail in the area. And it's rampant with COVID, COVID-19 in there right now. Um, Clay Jenkins is the one I, I think is responsible for that jail. And there's a lawsuit right now against him because he told the prison guards not to wear masks in there because it would spook the inmates. So now you've entered a hellhole. Um, mm-hmm. did they, I assume they fingerprinted you and everything else did they and handcuffed you. Is that correct? Um, they did at some point. But what was crazy was when, they, when we went and um, they took me to the lady that was going to enter me into the system. She says out loud to them, I thought we were only accepting, you know, high-level felons. Why are we taking this woman in? And they all just shrugged their shoulders. I, I, I mean, it just takes my breath away. Now, did you at any point uh, have any contact with other prisoners? I think you mentioned to me on the TV show that you were in a cell by yourself. I was, but it, it's not like what you would um, think. It, it's like glass. Um, you know, unbreakable glass, I guess, or whatever doors that open. It's not like jail bars. And my cell was, um, there was like an open area with like a picnic table type thing and a TV. And then there were eight different cell, cells like right next to each other. And to guess, I would say they were like uh, six by 10 or something like that um, with a toilet and a sink in there. Um, the toilet had when I went in there, this is disgusting, but um, women's, um, I don't know sanitary napkins and stuff stuck to the toilet and right. it was quite disgusting yeah pretty disgusting jail's a pretty disgusting place and you know now they're putting you in an environment that is extremely dangerous um well, they did, did the prisoners know why you were there. there sorry i came in there with my own mask because we were wearing the masks in court but then they gave me a paper mask which was not as protective as the mask that i was wearing but they made me wear that one um no, and but yeah you're right when i walked in the the um other ladies in there did not know who I was. They did not know. So you were in there for how long total? About 48 hours. Yeah. So now uh, are you still not allowed to be open, but you're open anyway, or have they now opened it up in Texas? I know that the governor had been talking about reopening and I interviewed him. I interviewed him the night that you were on the TV show and the lieutenant governor came to your defense. The AG came to your defense. And, and by the way, so did a lot of the American people. They were as outraged as uh-huh. I was. Oh, yeah. Um, actually, Governor Abbott, on the, it was during the intermission before I was given my sentence. Governor Abbott uh, did his press conference and said that salons could open on Friday. And I think my trial was on Tuesday. So 
Um, so since last Friday, the uh, salons have been open, but we never shut down. We stayed open the entire time. Now, the things I'm looking at a lot of things. I don't want anybody to get this. I'm in the epicenter of this. I've been in New York and Long Island the whole time. And I've seen I've seen how devastating this can be. But uh-huh. one thing I'm learning, you know, we're learning certain things. One is what they did down in Florida. Governor DeSantis targeted the most vulnerable, the elderly population, and they did it in a massive, huge way. Um, mm-hmm. In New York, I keep mentioning I go shopping. Grocery stores uh, are full with everything but toilet paper and paper towels. Even this weekend, there were none. I don't know why, but everything else was there. And every week I go in there, uh, Shelly, and I'd, I'd see the same guys stocking the shelves. None of them mm-hmm. got COVID and they all wore masks. So I'm thinking right. maybe how we can learn possible? from that. <laughs> What's that? Well, you know, and I, I said, how is that possible? It must be a miracle. No, I I totally get what you're saying. And that was one of the reasons that I opened up because all of the stores were open around me. The dog groomer next door was essential, quote unquote, the entire time, never shut down. Um, At the time I went into jail, you could get CBD oil, uh, alcohol to go, uh, medical massage, Botox, fillers, an abortion. And uh, you still could not get oh a lap dance because the strip club had now opened. Seriously, you you get an abortion and a lap dance, but you can't get a haircut. Correct. <laughs> yes. Unbelievable. Um, well, listen, I, I just want to say, I, you know, I, I know it got picked up a lot. I said you reminded me of William Wallace at the end of Braveheart and they're they're killing him. And and just, you know, all the pain will go away if you just, you know, pledge allegiance to the king. And and then mm-hmm. it got real quiet. It goes the, the the prisoner would like to say a word. And that's when. Uh, well, Mel Gibson playing um, uh, William Wallace screams out freedom. And like you said, right. no, nah, it's not selfish. If uh, you're going to call me selfish, I'd rather go to jail. And I think it's a it, this is going to be a watershed moment because I think a lot of the American people feel like you do, that you want to get back to work. You definitely want to do it safely. And uh, I think that this this is why it's resonated. So how do you like being in the media? A lot of fun, right? All my all these um. people in the mob. <laughs> I have a new sense of appreciation for you. <laughs> oh, yeah, I put up with a lot of crap, Shelly. But listen, I'm I glad bet. you guys are well. I wish your business the best. North Dallas Salon a la mode. I hope a lot of people go there and keep you busy. Thank you so much, Sean. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you, Shelly. All the best to you and your family. We appreciate you being with us. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. All right, let's get to our phones here. Bill is in uh, Illinois. Bill, hi. How are you? Glad you called, sir, and uh, welcome to the program. Thanks, Sean, for everything you do. I don't know even where to start. Uh, Shelley's the profile and courage, uh, along with the folks that work with you, uh, Sarah Carter, uh, John Solomon, uh, Greg Jarrett, uh, Sean Hannity. I mean, you guys are, are carrying the load, and there, there are times where I just want to flip it all off and disappear. But uh, it's too important to. I'm not, to I, listen, I'm not going to lie with lie. I, Bill, I I never thought that this would happen in our country. I never oh, thought I that you. you know that we would have this 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 group think psychotic madness, where the lie is the truth and the truth is a lie, and it's on every big exactly. issue. That we could turn our well, we we could we can spy on a presidential candidate and a president. And then we can put a we can ambush a 33 year vet and set him up because that's what they did. You bet. And I served with gentlemen just like General Flynn, and they're uh, they are role models for all of us. Uh, John, I'm still trying to envision you at a Mets game or Yankees game with a mask on, and I can't do it. I'm having trouble thinking about that. 
You know so, what? I, if if that is what it takes, again, I'm I'm using anecdotal information here. If every week I go shopping, grocery shopping, and every week I see the same guy stocking the shelves, and every week I go to the drugstore, and and we if we didn't have everybody bringing New York the food and the medicine and those stores open, guess what? New York wouldn't have survived. You, you know, bet. It, you bet. so they never shut down. And then, you know, this this kid that we're going to have on at the bottom of the hour. I mean, th- th- this kid worked every single day. Every single time I went to the store, I saw him. Nobody well, at the store great, got sick. To a great degree, I would tell you as an old person that to me, when I go into a facility and I see a mask on a, a, a U.S. citizen, it to me is, is somewhat of a flag of surrender to fear. And I I. Uh, my wife and I are going to fly next month. We're going to go out to the West Coast and visit family. And we've already purchased masks that will not be real popular on the airplane because they say, keep America great. And they also say Trump 2020. I have so, seen the best masks for sale on the uh, on the Internet. I love our, our, our people are amazing. They're just so funny. But listen, God bless you. Just be careful. I'm telling all my friends, just for this is going to be a short time, but I got to run. Uh, Bill, thank you. Um, this young man that I've gotten to know that stocks the shelves at my local grocery store is next and more of your calls. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. So I'm not saying that this is the only anecdotal evidence out there. I'm just, I mean, I, I am giving you some, my experience here. Um, the reason, here I am in New York, the idiot that I am where we have a governor that makes all these colossal mistakes. Number one, you want hydroxychloroquine, you got to go to a hospital to get it. I'm like, okay, if you didn't have COVID-19 before you went in, the odds are much greater you do when you leave if you didn't have it. So that was dumb. Uh, Bad decision number two, they never saw it coming. March 2nd, the mayor of New York is out there saying, go out on the town, here are my recommendations for March 2nd to March 5th. That was dumb. Then we had the, the governor saying, when, um, I don't want to Excuse, sound arrogant. Uh, our arrogance as New Yorkers. New I Yorkers. the mayor also on this one. We think we have the best health care system on the planet right here in New York. Amen. So uh, when you're saying what happened in other countries versus what happened here, uh, we don't even think it's going to be as bad as it was in other countries. Yeah, that was March 2nd. March 25th. Now, there's other bad decisions. New York City had a had a task force recommendation. New York City alone was supposed to get 10,000, just a little below 10,000 ventilators for a predictable pandemic. You got 11 million people uh, densely populated, the smallest geographic space, highest population of people. It would be prone to a pandemic. They weren't prepared. Uh, Michael Bloomberg got 500 of the nearly 10,000 that they said you would need. And then Comrade de Blasio, well, he sold them at auction because he didn't maintain them. And still to this day, we don't know where they are. November of 2015, the state of New York was told the federal government will not be there for you to provide ventilators. You're you're going to be short 15,783. They didn't buy any. And, but they did spend $750 million on a solar panel factory and $600 million on a microchip factory, both of which went belly up. $90 million on a light bulb endeavor with a California company. That went belly up. 
but they didn't have the money for the ventilators. Then they're screaming, we need 40,000 ventilators. But then the worst decision in all of this, they didn't buy the ventilators. They weren't prepared. They said they were prepared. They said go out on the town. It was dumb. Now, part of it, I'm not blaming everybody for, you know, we didn't know February 29th, Anthony Fauci was saying the risk is low. The risk is low. But March 25th, uh, now we're getting into some significant, serious information and data. And Donald Trump comes into New York. He builds the hospitals all around New York, the biggest in New York City in the entire country, 3,000 beds. And then he's asked to convert those 3,000 beds to COVID-19 patient capability. And then the president's asked to man the place. He puts all the personnel there for the city and state of New York. He took care of everybody. In the end, they used a little over 1,000 of the 3,000 beds that the president built. The same with the Navy hospital ship, the Comfort. 1,000 beds in that facility. They converted that to COVID-19 capability to take in COVID patients. That, neither one of those were planned to do that, but they did. You know, changing the ventilation system, not particularly easy at the Javits Center, but they did it. Army Corps of Engineers was amazing. They staffed it. They built it. Every ventilator that New York didn't buy that they needed, the president provided, along with glass, uh, I'm sorry, gloves and masks and respirators and gowns and medicines, all by the president. And then the, the dumbest decision of all is March 25th. And that is when the executive order came down, I guess, on the recommendation of the idiot health. Well, what the New York Post is calling Dr. Death in New York. But they make the really dumb decision of saying, hey, let's let's put covid patients. That's what we'll do. We'll put covid patients uh, demand that long term health facilities for the elderly and nursing homes take out of the hospitals. By law, you must take them. If they have COVID-19 and bring them in now, the the nursing homes were saying we don't have the ability to deal with this. Well, it's only yesterday that Governor Cuomo finally gave in and and rescinded this nursing home order. Now, fully almost 30 percent of New York deaths were because they didn't take care of the elderly in New York. And I'm, I don't think the governor did it purposely at all. I think he just made a dumb decision and had dumb people advising him that were wasting their time putting together their daily PowerPoints that so impressed the people of New York, when in fact they made the dumbest decision of anybody. And Ron DeSantis, well, the first thing he did was bring in the National Guard, every single agency available in Florida, and all they did was go after the vulnerable population to make sure they would be protected. His, his rate of infection, his rate of intubation, his rate of death, it is so dramatically less, not just we'll make New York a unique case, but they have demographically one of the largest elderly populations in the country. Michigan is a disaster to, compared to Ron DeSantis in Florida. Now, if we're going to open up and open up safely, we can learn from Ron DeSantis. We can learn what not to do from New York, New York City, New York State. We can also now, you got to understand, I go grocery shopping myself. I don't understand the question I often get from people in the grocery store. What are you doing here? I'm like, shopping? What are you doing here? Shopping? Oh, I'm surprised to see you here. I'm like, well, look at me. I like to eat, obviously. Um, But anyway, all throughout this pandemic, besides for toilet paper and paper towels, the store shelves were packed. Because I would go once or twice a week at least. 
and I'd go to my local pharmacy. And the, I happen to know who they are. I talk to them every time I go. Nice people. And I keep saying, how is it possible? They never shut down. Nobody at the grocery store that I go to and nobody at the, at the pharmacy I go to got COVID-19. They all wore masks and gloves in, in most cases. Um, anyway, I got to be friends with, I mean, I now consider this guy our friend, but I won't give his last name. But Robert is with us. Robert, how are you, my friend? He works at my local grocery store. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Mr. Hannity? Um, I don't remember. It was a while back. It was very early on when I think I first met you. I don't think um, it was very early on. And we were talking about it just out of nowhere. Right. Is that that's my yeah. recollection. And I think you've seen me, what, every week at least pretty much. Right. Every yeah. time I go in there, yeah, you are. Yeah. You're working. What's that? Yeah, every week. And and I let you take a picture of me with my mask on. And I said, don't post it. And you, you agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. All throughout this coronavirus, you know, time in the epicenter right here in New York, you're in Long Island. You've been there. How many days a week do you work at the grocery store? About six. Okay. How many hours a week have you been putting in? Um, about 30. I work. I go in at any time because whenever we get a delivery, it's usually at night because deliveries are very sporadic. Right. So... I would go whenever they call me in. So I usually work 10 hours or 11 hours overnight. And And would you agree with my assessment that short of toilet paper, Campbell's chicken noodle soup, and and paper towels, the the shelves were pretty well stocked most of the time, right? Yeah, yeah. They're pretty much stocked besides toilet paper and paper towels. We have food, but toilet paper and paper towels are still being limited. I asked pretty- you yesterday when I ran into you, I said, well, did anybody that works at the store get COVID-19? No. In the New York would not be eating, but for guys like you stocking the shelves every week, right? Yeah. Have you been afraid? You read the paper, you see these people dying, and you know that you're, you know, they, there's a lot of people that go through the grocery store every day. I've seen it packed a lot of days, right? Yeah. Well, How, co- how taken, come you kept working? I've taken what. What, what the government's told me, the proper precautions to keep safe, keep my distance, wear gloves, wear my face mask, and um, pretty much it. Did anybody at your grocery store quit as a result of this? Um, a couple, a couple of cashiers have haven't quit, but they've taken, they've requested off throughout all of this. I think it's about it's about two of them that I know personally. But without you and all the other grocery store workers in New York and Long Island, we would be starving, wouldn't we? Yeah. Because and every week, everybody goes in and does their job, and you're among the public, and nobody at the store got COVID-19. No. No one. Do you think it's because of the masks cause that, and the gloves? Because that's where I think the answer is. Yeah, I really do believe in them. Can I ask how old you are? I'm 19. You're a 19-year-old kid, and you went there yeah. every day. How'd your parents feel about it? Um, they know I'm taking my, the safety precautions, so they're all right with me working. Right. Uh, at yeah. any point, were you getting nervous at all? Because there were a couple of days, Long Island was looking pretty scary. Um, no, because, I mean, I think I was doing everything right, and I felt good every day. And uh, that doesn't go for, like, everyone in New York, but... I felt 
I felt pretty healthy every day. So I don't think I've never really felt scared. It's kind of weird because whatever your schedule is, is usually when I go in and shop there. And yeah, I remember. I work, yeah. Yeah. Later. I work later in the evening. Sorry. Yeah. I usually come in late on like a Saturday or a Sunday and I usually see you like on yeah. Sunday. Right. Mm hmm. And when you first saw me, we you, you you recognized me, and we started talking. And then I would see yeah. you the next week, yeah. and then the next week, and then the next week. Mm -hmm. And I've been talking about you on the radio a lot. Does anybody, did anyone ever tell you? I never mentioned your name, though. Yeah, my, yeah, my mom always tells me. Yeah. Well, I want to yeah. say something. I know you don't feel this way, but in many ways, you're like a hero, and you don't even know it. You really are. Because New York, mm. without guys like you, without... Farmers and packers and truckers and guys that stock the shelves like you, we would have, we would have starved to death. That's just a fact. Mm. Um, well, anyway, now what are your plans for later in life? I got to take a break here. Um, um, I do work with an electrician, but we've had to take a break because of we want to take a break from all this. So yeah, I would I work with him. I would I would work with him early in the day and then go to work. So. Well, next time, when this is all over, I'm going to come in and, and you and I will have a conversation about what your future is going to be, all right? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in it. Oh, and um, this COVID-19 thing is kind of getting in the way with that. But uh, yeah, it's not good. I, I know we'll get through it, though. I, I, I know we will get there. Everyone's so negative. But I oh. keep positive. Just make sure you oh. just keep that mask on every day. So far, it's worked well for you when you're around a lot of people yeah. in that store. That store can get really busy. Mm. And yeah, you're, you're stocking the shelves while everybody's in there. It's not when it's closed. Yeah. 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 All right, Robert. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. Tell your mom and dad I said hi, and, and thanks for everything you've been doing, okay? All right. Thank you. Stay safe. All right. 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. Linda, isn't, isn't it great? he's the greatest kid, right? I mean, these are the unsung heroes. It's like you said, you know, these are people that are out there. They're doing this. They're doing this work. And, you know, there was a there was an interesting meme over the weekend that I saw. And it was like people that are out there wearing masks and they're opening up, you know, uh, regular restaurants. You know, most fast food restaurants, a lot of restaurants have had the delivery and takeout all the time and they're wearing masks. And it's like, how can these people keep working for minimum wage while Congress sits home? And that's what I keep saying. If you're not going to go to work and you don't want to work and you're a legislator, then it's time for you to give up your salary, just like everyone that you're telling to stay home is now at home without their salary. If these guys didn't work like Robert, and if the packers didn't pack, the farmers didn't farm, the truckers didn't truck, and they, they would have said, oh, they don't have to worry about him opening up because he never shut down. That's what correct. can we learn from that? They're all, they all stayed safe with the mask. That's, that's what I take away from it. I'm not a and doctor. And nothing, Sean. If the yeah. masks work, then why can't we work? If we have to wear a mask because that's the solution, then why can't we go back to work? That's it. If they work, then that's it. Unless you're telling me something that's not true. But you're telling I'm, me this works, fine. Then let me do my job. Get out of my way. All of these kids, all these guys, they're there every day. Every Absolutely. day. They never stop working. And, and they, they want to work. New York wouldn't eat. Think about it. If, if the manufacturers of all that medical equipment stopped working, well, New York was done. But I do think, I do take issue with how they're determining what essential services are because now we're getting into a place where it's beyond serious, it's beyond critical, it's beyond next level. You know, people are not able to get what they need to get food on the table and to pay their mortgages. So let them go back to work, period. Mm -hmm.
All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. Tonight, we got an amazing Hannity. Uh, Adam Schiff lied, and he knew he was lying. We'll get reaction. Devin Nunes uh, also will check in with uh, Judge Pirro. Reince Priebus has an amazing story about Andrew McCabe. Uh, Jared Kushner on the testing information that is now crucial. And the double standard with Joe, Bongino, Tammy, Gordon Chang, 9 Eastern. Hannity, see you tonight at 9, back here tomorrow. Thank you for being with us.